today we've been we've been talking about word studies, and uh, we're going to wrap that up. We may have an additional part if we if we depend on timing. We may go into another additional one. Um, so right now, if you have the handout, I think there was some at the back. We're around page five, I believe. Okay. I think we're getting ready to start our New Testament example. All right. If you remember. Last time we talked about fear in a, in a verse from the Old Testament. And we went through several different points there. The points, if you want to refer back to them in terms of, you know, what do we do as we go through word studies? What's, what's the process like? They're found on page 3. So A through G there. Use multiple translations, a variety of sources, dictionaries, concordances, and so on. Remembering context would be the last one there. So, uh, the one we're going to start on today is we're going to just, uh, the process is going to be we'll just discuss how do each of these points kind of work itself out if we do an example word study. Right. So, let's see. Oh, we need some volunteers. Colossians 3.21. It's on the bottom of page 5 where you can look up to have somebody. Who would want to read there? Colossians 3.21. Go for it, Ryan. Others do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Okay. So starting with A, the, before we decide, you know, what, what word study we might use, and we're going to look at a variety, and there's many others, but we have just three examples here. Um, so take a second, look through these three verses. I'll read them. All right. NIV, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The NASB, fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And the Good News Translation, parents do not irritate your children or they will become discouraged. Okay. So any candidates that you see for words that maybe could alter the meaning if they were diff comparatively? Fathers and parents. Yeah. Fathers and parents would be one. Anything else that you see there? The embitter, exasperate, irritate. Yeah, so what, what's the difference between embittering, exasperating, or irritating? And then we have discourage, discourage, and losing heart. Right. So there's not really a hard and fast rule that this, these words warrant a study and these don't. Right, but we would choose one based on um, how might a difference in the meaning affect our interpretation. Um, so we're going to choose the to look at father's parents. Okay, so that's we we've, we've read we've looked at different translations. And we're choosing that. Right. Okay, so then you've got all the different definitions. And I can't remember. We may have briefly looked through these last time. Right? What are the, what are the three main ways that father can be used here. Let me see there. What's the first one? Yeah. So like Abraham was the father of David was the father of. Okay. And then what's our second one? What's that, what's that stand for? Metaphorical, right? So you could have Edison's the father of the light bulb or 
something along those lines. Uh, a title of honor. And then what's our third main one? Yeah. So we can refer to the Father can be referring to God. Right? Oftentimes Jesus talks about the Father. So as we look at those, right, as we're just looking at general definitions that we could have, and there's a lot of subcategories to each one, um, what would be something that we could maybe say, based on just an initial review of the text, any of those that we can eliminate? It's not referring to God. Yeah, it's not referring to God. Right? So that leaves us with right, generator or male ancestor or metaphorical. Right? Do you have any... Any thoughts one way or the other, which it might be better? It doesn't mean the ancestors. Okay. It says fathers do not. It's been present, not past. Okay, so it's like a current right, command, not a reflecting upon something, someone who's passed away. Okay. So you're speaking to the living here. Any other observations about those definitions and just the context of the verse? Probably not metaphorical because in the, in the context of the verse it says wives and husbands and childrens and fathers. So it seems to be very literal in terms of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And let's take a second. Um, sometimes we assume, you know, in in our examples here that we have read through the text, but maybe we haven't. So let's just go to Colossians and look at chapter three. And so this verse 21 kind of happens in a passage where he's addressing the different members of the, the home or the house or the Christian household. Okay. So let's read 18 to um, 22. 18 to 22. Andrew, you want to read that? Wives, submit to your husbands as, is, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Do you want? Yeah, just keep going. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by, the, by way of eye service as people pleasers, but the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. There you go. And then I, I, it get, he gives some more explanation. And then even in four one, masters treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So it seems to be giving direct commands to different members of a, of a household. Right? Okay. So um, here's a note from MacArthur Study Bible on 6.4. It says that the word technically refers to male parents, but was also used of parents in general. Since Paul had been speaking to both parents, verses 1 through 3, he probably had both in mind here. The same word is used in Hebrews 11, 23 for Moses' parents. Okay, so there's, we're taking in lots of information. Um, so what's the justification here, and what's, what's the study Bible note leading us to think of in terms of, is it referring to father or parents? What are the observations? 
think this note, did you see how it says 6-4? Yep. But we're in what? Okay, you may know why that's 6-4. Uh, Sometimes the MacArthur Study Bible will cross-reference. Yeah, so we're 6-4 in what book, anybody? Ephesians. Ephesians. Let's flip over to Ephesians. Okay. And so as there's certain uh, texts oftentimes where there's a very helpful cross-reference where there's maybe a similar passage, right? Paul is writing to the similar things to the Ephesians. So let's... Let's read here. We're in Ephesians. And so um, 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it sounds like a very familiar verse. And you can see context-wise, right? Who does, in Ephesians passage, who else is addressed in 6.1 and on? Mm-hmm. Parents. Who else? Children. Mm-hmm. What about back further in five twenty-two and twenty-five? Husbands and wives. Yeah, husbands and wives, right? So you can see how he's developing a very similar argument, and so we'll kind of reference that he, maybe in a couple of other passages. Has oftentimes it makes sense to compare. You know, would it make sense for him to give one set of instructions to the Ephesians and something to, different to the? to the Colossians, right? It's likely to have a very similar meaning in terms of how it's, how it's being used. Okay, so we have that note, right? We, we know that, and he, he notices, we notice that here he, um, the MacArthur note is that it's used as parents where? In what verse? Well, and like they're saying that this word that's translated fathers in, in 6 4 and uh, the 3, uh, chapter 3 of uh, Colossians, later in uh, Hebrews 11. So let's go to Hebrews 11 23. There it's translated as, uh, I believe, parents. Someone have that? I don't know if we have all the same. I've got ESV, but Hebrews eleven twenty-three. Andy, you got it? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Yeah. Edict, edict yeah. And so we're kind of like, it's another thing I would encourage is that if your study Bible or your commentary gives a note, it's used this way in this verse. It'd be good to look up that verse and read that verse and see how it's used and in what context. So, right there we see that that, that same word is being used. So, right, yes? Earlier in Ephesians it says, children obey your, obey your parents, Lord. Uh-huh. Was it the same word that they use with no. fathers? So uh-huh. We're getting to that, yeah. So that's a great observation. So like if you think about... Um, we're almost there. So part C on D, ask why the author used one word and not the other. Okay, So that's what we're going to see is that there's two different words that are being used there. Okay, um, One of the things before we kind of skip over is that if we, if we think about the scope of the term, right, that it can be translated as both father and parents, as we see in uh, father in Ephesians and uh, Colossians, but then parents and Hebrews, 
we might ask ourselves, what about this particular author? Like, does, do the biblical authors use the same vocabulary in the same way? And so, if you look at the use of that word, uh, pater, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but if I look at just Paul's writings, does he use it interchangeably, or does he tend to use one versus the other? And we see that it's only translated as father in Paul's writings, right? whereas Hebrews is a different author. So that kind of gives us a little bit of a, a thought of, well, maybe the way that Paul's using it here um, is different than the way it's being used in other New Testament texts. Maybe he means fathers, um, whereas in other texts it could be used to, to mean not just fathers, but parents in general. What, what do you guys think about that? Does, right now, fathers, parents, got any anything that's uh, particularly persuasive in terms of one way or the other? You're still undecided, or do you have a a thought? What, what would be the better? Because we saw in those three texts, a couple of them did fathers, one of them did parents. risky question. Right? The question that I have on the observation piece is he refers to husbands, wives, children, fathers, but doesn't say mothers. So that may or may not influence mm -hmm. both in the same word. Right. Right. And he uses the word parents in terms of who the children should submit to. And then he seems to say just fathers and not anything directed to the mothers. So that's a something we're observing. All right, well, let's keep going. So Noah's point, right? Let's, do, let's look at parents, okay? So when we look at the word parents that used, that's used in the verse immediately prior, right? In, in uh, Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, so pater, right, is father, and then we've got, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, how do you pronounce that? Ganius. Ganius, which, which could also be translated fathers or parents, parent or parents. So the word that's translated as parents is a different word. That Paul uses a different word for that when it's terms of translated um, as parents. So what, no, what were you thinking when you asked that question? Like, how does that help us in one way or another, knowing that he uses a different word here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's flip back to Ephesians and see if he did the same thing, right? So Ephesians... Uh, six one said, so "This is one every parent, right? It's got to be your go-to when you've got young children. You got to know this verse by heart, and your children roll. You start out saying anything, uh, hey kids, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is that just comes out naturally. Uh, okay, so Ephesians six one." So children obey the parents, or I'm reading the literal, but he does use the same exact word for parents there. So it's the gnus is used for in 6.1. Uh, 
Uh, and then he, he, said, he does say in verse 2, honor, right, your father and mother. So use both uh, father and mother. So that father and mother is the pater and mater, the male and female, the, the difference. And then in verse 4, like we talked about earlier, and fathers, or pater, that's the word that he uses there again. So he makes a commanded children to obey their parents in both letters, in both cases, using that same word, and then in both cases addresses fathers with a different word. Different from parents, but same in each, each letter. So where are we leaning? What do we think? The subjects are different. You're talking about an instruction commanded towards the father in this instance, and an instruction commanded towards the children in Ephesians, yet they're utilizing the same argument essentially just on either side of the coin. Um, that's mm -hmm. hence the distinction of mentioning both parents in Ephesians and only uh, an instruction commanded towards the father in the literal sense in this one. Mm -hmm. the, um, yeah. yeah. That's what I think. So we've already done that a bit, but a couple of observations when we look at consider the meaning of it, the word in relationship to the ones around it. And so uh, Joshua had kind of pointed this out a little bit, but look at the text as a whole in the Colossians, and let's let's kind of highlight who, who's being addressed. So we start out in Colossians 3.18, right? Wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So who's that to? Wives, right? Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Who's that to? Husbands, right? Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Who's that to? Children, right? Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Who's that to? Fathers. There we go, yeah. It's just, we're just going by the words there that are in the text. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Who's that to? Okay. Uh, whatever you do, work, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So there's a you, right? Whatever you do. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So who's that to? Masters. So we've got wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, and masters. Right? All have a receiving a direct instruction. So I think this is a, an interesting observation, right? Notice that the, the subordinate member is listed first, and then the authority listed second. See, that's kind of a, a pattern going on. So... The wives who are submitting to husbands are addressed first, and then the husbands, how should they exercise that authority? Then children are addressed, then fathers, then slaves, and then masters. Okay, so if you were going to translate it as parent, um, what would be some objections? Why would that possibly cause an issue? <clears throat> I mean, Ephesians 6 
Yeah, like I guess what you, if I'm hearing what you're saying, like it wouldn't make sense in Ephesians six two to say honor your parents and parents, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Two different words. Two different words. Yeah. Right. Pater and mater. Any other issues or problems? So that's one. Yeah, are there problems why you would say that it wouldn't make sense to translate pater as parents in our Colossians text? Why it doesn't make sense to do that? Why it wouldn't make sense to use parents? Like, we're trying to come up with not just reasons why we might choose father, but why would be the reasons against maybe choosing because he's trying to call out the leadership of the father in the family then if you translate it with parents you kind of take away that distinction okay that could be an additional one as well yeah so go ahead it wouldn't track with like what you just said with the subordinate and the, the authority in order right if it if it was translated Well, remember, we're, we're talking about fathers. Who, who, who's he not supposed to exasperate? Children. The children. So in a sense, it makes sense because you have both per- parents have authority over the kids. All right? And the kids are suppo- both supposed to obey who? Their parents. They're supposed to honor who? Their father and their mother. So we want to be careful that we're not like somehow excluding the role of the the wife and the mother. We're just asking why is Paul, why would he be saying father versus why would he be saying mother? Okay? So, uh, we talked about literal versus idiomatic. What, remember, what do we say? Why would it be, maybe be kind of an easy choice here? Literal. It's literal because what were kind of some key clues? He's literally going through a list of people who have subordinate and authoritative by the surrounding text and the entire Bible. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, like we said, lots. Of, there's children, there's mothers, there's fathers. It's on the nose. It's <laughs> That's really yeah. Give a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. So That's this may- why it kind of actually doesn't make a lot of sense to address parents here because these are directives towards single people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if you address parents as one, that doesn't fit in the context of the entire passage. Mm-hmm. So kind of when we think about just the context in general, and we think about our interpretation as a whole, like our word study would point us to saying that the word here is referring specifically to the fathers, and then that would then guide our interpretation of the, the verse and the passage, and we, when we look at it as a whole. Okay. Uh, one point G asks, right, does the translation of Patera's father furnish it with a consistent translation? So does it make sense to use the word father in the context of that verse, the passage as a whole? And when we compare it to use in Ephesians as well as how it's used in Colossians, it does seem consistent. Another point I think would be kind of interesting is when you look back at another meaning, of the metaphorical meaning of father, mm-hmm. one of the setup points was one who stands in a father's place and looks after another in a paternal way. So I think even by using father, you're also including the mother because if the father's not there to discipline, then the mother needs to hmm. take that role. So you know, metaphorically 
an interesting that's an interesting thought yeah so it was even using father or the pattern wouldn't necessarily disclude the mother yeah and we didn't really haven't really gone into necessarily like the meaning of the word how we could have done the word study in terms of right it's a negative command right do not exasperate and bitter provoke right there's um, so when we get into that like what is it that this that the fathers are being commanded not to do and so there's a lot more that could be said about the verse as a whole okay okay so before we kind of wrap things up with conclusion I have additional I don't know if I made enough I need like 30 pass some of these out so um, I thought since we have time so we have time, we'll maybe look at one more before we kind of wrap things up. So, got one. They got one. They snuck in. So this will be a second example from the New New Testament. It's tricky. This is an interesting one. Let's go to um, Titus. Let's look at the book of Titus. Okay, Titus 1.9. Um, I can't remember which version this first one is in. Um, we're kind of going to just walk through the same thing and do, do a few minutes on this one as a second one before we wrap up. So an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Okay. And so as we look at that verse... Right. There's, I put in uh, the English Standard, NASB, and New King James. Right. Let's look at the three different translations, see if you pick up on something that might affect the meaning. So if anyone is above reproach, the husband is of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. The NASB, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe... Uh, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. New King James, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. What's that? Is it 1-6? Six? Six? Uh, oh, good catch. You're like, that is not what it says in verse 9. Blasphemy. I'm going to edit the recording. As I was saying in 1.6. Okay. So what would alter the meaning here? Depending on how one of the words. Same one verse, man. 
Okay? So like if anyone or if any man, or in one verse it says if, uh, or an elder. Okay. Blameless verses above approach. Okay, yep, yep. So who is it referring to? Um, what is the first qualification? Anything else? Yeah, faithful children believe, children who believe, or children are believers. Okay. So those are all questions that we have if we look at the verse um, just in isolation. Um, and so let's, let's go ahead and read um, verse 5 through 9. Let's look at Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. Joe, you got that? I knew you wanted to read one. <laughs> this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in, into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He is not to be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy words as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about, yeah, the, the heading a lot of times in our book, it's the uh, qualifications, right? What should these elders be like? What qualifies them? Okay. And so if we look up uh, in the dictionary, what are the, the main meanings that we get? How many do we get and what do we get? Like two, major. two major ones, yeah. Trusty, trustworthy, faithful, um, could be easily persuaded. Um, but we also see in the sub part there, it could be that in the New Testament, it often refers to those who are believing or believers that Jesus is the Messiah, right? One who's convinced. So two to three in the sense that it could be referring to a specific belief or it could be that they are um, trustworthy, faithful. And so those, those could kind of alter our meaning. What do you think? Is there, is there any that we can rule out or is there a possibility that could, be, could it be translated both ways at this point? Yeah, it sounds like both can work so far, right? We see that it's translated both ways in the text. ESV even translates it both ways. Like in the actual text, it talks about, it calls them like believers. But then there's a footnote, or are faithful. Uh, even there it does both. Yeah. So sometimes the, they'll kind of signal, translators may, may say, this, this is kind of worthy of a footnote. And I put kind of a, an excerpt. Um, from uh, something that I found in the article, but um, 
there's there's two main positions, right? There is a, a group that believes um, that it is specifically saying that in order to be qualified to be an elder, your children ought to be believers or at least not to have walked away or dis disowned the faith and not to have been in rebellion to the faith. And then there's another that points that they are faithful in the sense that they are not, uh, as it's kind of explained in the verse, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. They're more of a, a sense of obedient under your rule and management. And so those two differences greatly can affect your application of who then can be elder in your church and how do you evaluate their, um, whether they're qualified or not, right? How you look at them as, a, as being qualified has, can be altered by how you view this in terms of how their, their children behave, what they believe. I thought I would include one note, um, says, uh, there's one, Douglas Wilson holds the first opinion, which was um, that when a man's, if a man's children fall away from the faith, either doctrinally or morally, he is at that point disqualified from formal ministry in the church. Um, Alexander Strzok holds the second view. The contrast is made not between believing and unbelieving, but between obedient, respectful children and lawless, uncontrolled children. So in other words, Paul's talking about their behavior, not their eternal state. So you have people who have a set kind of interpretation and that influences the way they then apply that verse. Any thoughts on those two options before we kind of proceed further? Yeah. Those have big implications. Yeah, very much so. For example, right? It, if it, if it, um, if it means faithful, right? How do you evaluate what what's faithful look like? And if none of your children are believers, um, what, does that disqualify you in some way, right? And if it means believing, how do you evaluate and qualify slash disqualify an elder? What must how how scrutinous must you be on the, the children? So. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't mean it means one or the other. It's just there's big implications for Titus' ability to experience. And I think you made a good point. Like, let's say you've got lots of children. Some of those might be adult children. And so there's even some little smaller divisions on terms of. Right. Do does, adults count? And do, do adults, count? yeah. Do grandchildren count? Right. Do so adult like children? Like yeah. So you can see how, like, the application, right, has a lot of different implications and so we want to be as accurate as we can be in terms of the interpretation what did he mean specifically when I mean, he wrote this so that we are having a good interpretation okay so that's kind of where we're at and so then one thing that you can do again like I was telling either on blue letter bible or any um, a lot of resources you can 
look up the occurrence of this word um, that's being used here. And uh, so clicking on... Uh, oh, I, I, I edited the former one. So it should say, given the scope of the term, shouldn't say father on point C, should say believer. I did change the root. It's not pater, it's uh, pistos, pistos, All right? And you're given every occurrence and you can look through. And I just, again, I stuck with um, Paul's writings. So there's many other uses of the word, but if you just look at Paul, it's something like 31 times um, that he uses it. And it's translated faithful 17 of those times trustworthy seven of those times and then believer seven of those times okay so we can see that he does use it in a variety of ways it's not like the previous one where it always means one thing um, I included um, a couple passages um, from a couple of other texts like um, if we look at the word you know faithful or trustworthy Right? They come from that same root. So like Luke 16.10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Right? It's in terms of their, their trustworthiness. 1 Timothy 1.15 from Paul. This is, saying is trustworthy. This is a saying is pistos. It's faithful. It's trustworthy. So we can see how there's some other uses besides just referring to the believer. So, um, what do you think about the context? Let's kind of look at its word in relationship to the ones around it. Just looking at the verse, what would you say here if we look at 6 again? If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Um, what do the, the immediate context seem to be doing? What's he contrasting with it? Bad behavior, right? Debauchery and insubordination. Also, in the, in the broader context, well, beyond that, every in the list of virtues, there's nothing that he's actually responsible for that he has control over. Mm -hmm. Which is why he's being evaluated and being irreproachable. Mm -hmm. So this goes more of a theological question, but can, can a man actually make his children Mm -hmm. believers mm -hmm. um, so if it is that way then it's sort of a supernatural element where you're saying only those who God chooses to save does that, that, that's a divine seal that you can be a, a leader but everything else in the passage indicates something you can actually develop and foster yourself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's a great kind of implication of like what if it meant this what would that mean about the passage as a whole <clears throat> And what's the purpose, like, the purpose behind giving all of these things is to what? what, what why is he talking about all this? To He's talking to uh, Titus, and what's Titus supposed to be doing with this information? Elders. Appointing elders, right? Choosing elders and choosing those who are well qualified, right? And so it's not really a text about family and parenting and those type of things. Um, so I thought, like in the last passage... Um, with Ephesians and Colossians, there, right? He gives these directions to Titus, but who else does he give these directions to? Any guesses? 
Starts with a T. Timothy, yes. Okay, so you've got the text there. You can flip there. Let's look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Okay. Ryan, you want to read that one? Yeah. Go for it. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not, a, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil, into a snare of the devil. Yeah. So the word that we're looking at doesn't, um, he doesn't use that word here. So it's kind of different than the Ephesians, Colossians about um, parents. It's not like the same word both times. So what's the word that he uses in, to talk about his children? They need to be, yeah, they need to be submissive, right? And we get some some a little bit of background, right? Why? How does being having ch children that are submissive help qualify him? What is he doing in the context of that verse? Managing his household well. Yeah, managing his household. So the idea that we get from this text is that children who are submissive or faithful or trustworthy are a sign of someone who can manage a household. Right, and what does he say in the immediately in that verse following? If someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? Yeah. Right, so we kind of get a little bit more background in terms of like, and does it make sense? Do we think that he would give Titus and Timothy two different qualifications? Probably not. Right, he probably would not tell Timothy, "It's okay if your elders don't have believing children." Titus, they got to be believing children. Right. So comparing the, the text helps to give us some, some further background. So you can look further into that if you'd like. Um, there's Like I said, there, there are churches that believe that as long as they're in their home, uh, they need to be, your children need to be believers to be qualified. Or maybe that's all your children, even when they're grown, or all of your children and grandchildren. So there's... You know, it's interesting to, uh, I think one of the notes said, um, I thought, you know, it's interesting to hear, you know, opposing viewpoints that, um, you know, they didn't see how children could be considered to be faithful because they obey you at home, but they, they disobey the greatest commandments to love the Lord, to, you know, to follow him, to believe in him. So sometimes uh, it's not as simple as we think, like there are some reasons why people would maybe choose the other. So, um, kind of the conclusion we want to go with there is that, you know, when you're doing the word study, um, it can be a work, you know, because a lot of times it's not just right there in your Bible. You have to kind of look at some additional resources. And uh, oftentimes it takes a little bit of patience as well because you've got to look into quite a bit of, um, you know, different contexts. But the more you do it, I think you'll come to find that 
the resources that you go to, you become a little bit more adept at finding what you're looking for, knowing what to look for, and uh, hopefully be the counterexample to knowing enough Greek to be dangerous, right? We want to treat it carefully that it's adding some depth to our study. Okay. So next time, the commentaries. 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 Yep. Then interpretation, then we'll be done. Okay, so we have two two more topics, and then we'll be, we'll be done with it. Then you'll be all experts. Yes. Potential experts. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, it's been a great joy to just share in conversation this morning over your word. And we're very thankful that we, again, the time and the place that we live and the resources and the tools that we have, it's, it's amazing what we have access to. And just that ability to see your word through so many different angles with such depth of analysis with so many other saints who have studied your word. I pray that we would continually be humbled as we come before your word, but that that humility would come with a great confidence in the Holy Spirit as the teacher who will teach us and explain and enlighten and help our hearts to really determine the meaning of your word that we might rightly apply it. And so I just pray that you be with us the rest of this morning. Help us to just glory in you and worship you. In your name, amen.